You know, 1 Peter is one of my favorite books in the Bible. You say that about all the books, George. Yes, they are. But I mean, I really like, I've been really enjoying 1 Peter because he's writing to Christians. That's you and I. Because he wants to help us to realize that we're just here for the moment. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners. Another word would be for it is outsiders. You say, I'm not an outsider. I've lived all my life here in Kerbinsville. No, no, no. No, you don't understand. You may have lived all your life here in Kerbinsville, but you're still an outsider as a believer in this world because you're not of this world. You were meant for something else. And so he's been talking about how we are to live our lives in this world. Now, the problem is, as soon as I say that, live our lives in this world, some of you are going to think, well, okay, well, George is going to come up with a big list of rules. Legalism. And I thought we got over that, George. I thought we're not into the rule-making thing anymore. Well, no, we're not talking about rules. But we are talking about how you should be living your life. He doesn't give bit-by-bit instructions about what you should and shouldn't be doing. But rather he tells you what you should be doing because of who you are. What do you mean because of who you are? Well, remember we've talked, especially last time, we looked and saw that because you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are somebody who is special to God. And God has a purpose for your life. And the purpose for your life is to bring glory to him. Is to glorify God through the way that you live your life. Because the way you live your life reflects on who? The Lord. Listen, folks. Have you ever had somebody tell you, I've, I've heard this many times, that the church is filled with what? Ever had somebody tell you that? Raise your hand if you ever had somebody tell you that, okay? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The reason why they say that is because you didn't keep the rules. No, that's not why they didn't say that. That's why they're saying that for other reasons. They're saying that because you claim to be one thing, but yet you're living what? Another. And the way you're living isn't reflecting very good, so they say the church is filled with hypocrites. Actually, the world's filled with hypocrites. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to look today at the next two verses. Verses 11 and 12, and we're going to talk about living as a pilgrim. Now, when I say living as a pilgrim, I'm not talking about Plymouth Rock, Massachusetts, and I'm not talking about Thanksgiving. So don't go, you men, don't go buy a big big stove hat, you know what I'm saying, and ladies, get a bonnet. We're not talking about that, okay? But what we are talking about is you living as somebody who's here temporarily because your destiny and your life is somewhere else. But in order for that to happen, you need to have a new outlook. You have to have a new way of viewing yourself and viewing the world that you live in, and especially how you see yourself. So I'm going to give you two things to think about as far as this issue of a new outlook. First of all, I've said this several times throughout this series. I'm going to say it again. You will never rise above your perception of yourself. Let me say that again. I will. You will never rise above your perception of yourself. 
And you know what your perception of yourself is. When you look in the mirror, and it's just you, and you're not rushing, and you're considering who you are in yourself, that's your perception of yourself. And some of you, it's a self-defeating thing. Some of you, it's a life of regret. Some of you, it's constantly being reminded of what you should have done and what you shouldn't have done. And somehow you think, for some reason, that that's the way God sees you. And that God sees you based upon your failure. Or God sees you based upon the dream that didn't come about. Remember we talked about this the last time. You will not rise above your perception of yourself. And, and listen, that affects the way that you live your life for Jesus. And so there's a lot of folks in church today, not just in our church, but in churches today, who are not able to grasp that as a follower of Jesus Christ, they are someone special to God and that God has equipped them, God has given them everything they need to live the life for him while they are here. And they don't realize that. They don't understand that. So that brings me to my second point. Understanding who you truly are will motivate how you live your life. Understanding who you truly are will motivate how you live your life. Now, to me, I'm just going to be honest with you folks. That's not legalism. The motivation to live a legalistic, perfect Christian life is to make sure you're keeping all the rules and being accepted by who? Other people. Especially in a church. That's legalism. But being who you truly are and living the life that God wants you to live needs to be motivated by the fact that you are somebody special to God. And when you understand that, that will motivate you concerning what you do and what you don't do. I think we understand that. In human life, that is, some of you remember, when you were growing up, you had parents who told you that you can't do that because if you did that, that was going to reflect on who? The whole family. And so you didn't dare do that because, well, in my instance, as a canon, you don't do that. Remember dad telling me that many times. Some of you remember that. There was a, quote, let's be honest, a public shame, right? Where you brought shame on the family. We don't use those words anymore. Maybe we should, right? Where you brought shame on the family because of that. So you didn't do things. We actually live in an era now where who cares about what family? I'm just going to do my own thing. Well, that's, that's not the biblical viewpoint of things, folks. If you're a believer in Jesus, you need to live as Jesus wants you to live. So that brings us to these two verses. That brings us to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. So let's read these together. It's up on the screen. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God 
in the day of visitation. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to take these two verses and we're actually going to make them into two different sections. We're going to talk about don't indulge yourself. Now you say, wait a minute, George, I live in a culture where I'm told to indulge myself. Well, the Bible is saying don't indulge yourself, and it's going to explain why. And then the second one, and you probably haven't heard this phrase in a long time because you think of it in terms of legalism, but consider your testimony, and we're going to talk about what that means too here in a moment. So let's talk about don't indulge yourself. Do you remember? I remember years ago watching TV and, you know, you'd see the exasperated housewife who says, Calgon, what? Take me away. <clears throat> Maybe that's not even on anymore, but some of you who are, it's not on anymore, is it, Brad? Okay. But some of you who are older remember that commercial and that was that you could what? Indulge yourself. And we live in a culture where basically you are told to what? indulge yourself, do whatever you want. If you want it, the sky's the limit, do it. Well, the Bible comes along and it says to you, don't indulge yourself. In fact, when you read verse 11, I need to explain something to you. It says, abstaining from your lusts. That's not talking about just sexual lusts. What that's talking about is strong desires. Strong desires, such as some of you could lust for food. Some of you could lust for what? Money and possessions and power and position. Some of you could lust for ambition. Strong desires driving you. And so he's coming along here and he's going to say to you, if you're going to live out of who you are, you need to deal with this issue about indulging yourself. So I'm going to give you three things that he points out here in this verse. If you look at verse 11, look at what it says there. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lusts which war against your soul. So here's the three things. Number one, you have to understand that you are only here temporarily. You're only here temporarily. He says, you need to remember that you're what? A sojourner and a pilgrim. You're only here temporarily. Now, that's very important because the fact is, folks, if this was all there is to life and there was no life after this, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, then go ahead and enjoy yourself because there's nothing else. But if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you understand that this life here is only temporary. It's only momentary compared to an eternity that's coming. In fact, what you do here prepares you for later. What do you mean prepares you for later? Because I'm saved. I know that I'm going there. Well, it prepares you in the sense of what you'll have for later, the rewards you'll receive. So you need to remember that this isn't everything. This is only a moment. Did you know what I'm saying? This is only a moment because 
there is something later coming on. I'll give you an illustration. I was just thinking about this. You know, when I was a boy, my dad was in the army. He was a career, career army man. And my mom was from Germany. So dad was stationed different times in Fort Lee, Virginia, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, Fort Jackson. His duty station would transfer between those three places. But every time he would have a vacation, he would want to go visit family. Not his family in North Carolina, but my mom's family where? In Germany. Now, if you're in the military, they have something that you can enjoy, and that is you can catch a hop. What does that mean? Well, you get to fly on a cargo plane over to Germany for free. You maybe had to pay for the box lunch. So as a kid, I can remember flying on C-130s and C-147s with all kinds of military cargo strapped into the side of the plane going over there. Now the problem with catching a hop is, is you got to wait for an available flight. So I can remember we would go to the Air Force Base, either at Dover or in Charleston or there in North Carolina, and we would be waiting there, and it would seem like eternity. And so you just kind of got used to living in a lounge. But you don't get comfortable in the lounge because you know sooner or later they're going to say, Cannon, Sergeant Cannon and family on this flight. So you don't get used to the lounge. You're only there, what? Temporarily. Folks, you're in a lounge. Now you might find it comfortable here in Kerwinsville, but this is a lounge. You might like it here in Clearfield. And you've been here 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 70. But you're only here temporarily. This is just the transit stop for what's coming. So you need to recognize that. You need to understand that, that you're only here temporarily. So here's the second thing. This is what he's saying here in this passage. You must actively stop giving into the strong desires of your flesh. You must actively stop giving in to the strong desires of your flesh. Here, I think we all can relate to this. Some of us maybe still have grandparents and parents who uh, lived during leaner times. And we hear their stories about what they didn't have. How many of you remember being told things about, well, life was like this, and we didn't have this, and we had to, you know, and you can remember growing up where you didn't have a TV, okay? Or the TV was black and white, okay? Or there wasn't a TV at all, or you remember one vehicle to cart a family load of 10, and what were seatbelts then? You didn't even think of seatbelts as how many people you could get in a vehicle. And you hear these stories about what life was like back then, and about, and then word that you just didn't do what you wanted to do. When you sat at the table, the food was there, and there was a bunch of you, and nope, you just didn't indulge yourself. But you know what? Times are different now. We live in a world now where we what? Indulge ourselves. 
And we expect it. And we get upset. You know what I'm saying? He's saying to us, because you're here temporarily, the key thing is, is that you have strong desires in your life. You have strong desires that are motivating you. And you need to get it under control because you have to stop, can we say it? Giving into it. You have to stop giving into your desires. Just because you want it doesn't mean you have to what? Have it. So that's what he's talking about here, about abstaining. He's talking about changing your focus of your life so that you don't, well, so that you aren't controlled by those strong desires. You ever been cold, controlled by a strong desire? Hey, we know what that looks like for some people who are in addiction. People who are addicted to alcohol or people who are addicted to drugs who would say that their strong desires control them. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to shock every one of you here. You're no different than the alcoholic or the addict. What do you need? You give in to the strong desires of something else. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's something else. But your focus is on satisfying those strong desires within you, and they control you. And don't they control us? Yeah, we have to admit that, don't we? But if you are a believer and you understand you are someone special to God, you've got to actively stop giving in to those strong desires in your flesh. Why? He tells you why. Look at the last part of verse 11. Which war against your soul. So here's my second point. Third point, excuse me. These strong desires are fighting against your spiritual life. All right, remember I said to you that most of us live in defeat? I've said that several times over the last few weeks as we've been going through this series. I've said to you that most of us live in spiritual defeat because of our what? Failures, our sins. Well, I'm going to tell you right now that if you trace back from that failure to the action, to the desire to do that action, at the root of everything is a what? Strong desire within your body to do something. Your strong desires fight against you spiritually. And when you give in to them, I'm just going to be honest with you, when you give in to them, it is destroying you spiritually. Now, you're still saved. Nobody's taken away your salvation. But you are at that moment, what? Defeated. Living in defeat. Thinking that you're never going to overcome it, that you're never going to have the ability or strength to be go beyond it. It's warring against you. That would be a good description of it, isn't it? Warring against you. So don't indulge yourself. 
That's what you and I need to recognize. But he goes on in verse 12 now, and he talks about not just that you don't indulge yourself, but you need to consider your testimony. And again, some of you would say, okay, there we go again. There's the legalism of it, George. I remember years ago the preacher said, you can't go to this restaurant because it had a bar because you need to consider your what? Your testimony. He said, I've gone to that restaurant and never bought an alcohol. Well, you, you had that testimony issue. You may have looked like you were buying it just because you were there. And you heard things like that. And that was just pure what? Legalism. But that's not what he's talking about here. When he talks about you considering your testimony, he's actually talking about something far more than that. So let's look at verse 12. Look at what he says here. I'm going to give you three points here. Here's what he says. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. All right, so here's the first point he's saying here. You must purpose... To live your life honorably. All right, let me just stop. Again, that is so different than living your life to set and fulfill a standard of rules. What it's talking about here is that you live your life in such a way that you bring honor, not just to yourself, but to who? God. You know, remember when you were a kid, you didn't do certain things because that would reflect poorly on who? Your parents. And so you, even though you wanted to, and even though you had the encouragement of others to do that, you kind of decided, no, I can't go there. I can't, I can't make that decision. I can't do that thing because what would daddy say? What would my mama say? And so you conducted yourself honorably with regards to who you are. It's the same thing here. He's saying that when you conduct yourself, when you live your life, You have to make decisions that will bring honor to God. I'll give you an example. This just happened to me yesterday. Okay, so we had a oil change. And I got stuff that I'm doing at the beginning to get ready for oil change. So I'm heading to Walmart and I'm getting up some food for the, for the guys to eat. And, and I'm noticing, so... All right, so our Yukon has aluminum rims, which means with the temperature change, I need to stop and get air in my tires. It's like a regular routine, okay? So I pull into the sheets because, you know, sheets has the free thing, and, and there's a car there, and there's another car waiting, and so I'm the third car, okay? <clears throat> so the first car does his business and leaves, Second car pulls up, and as it's pulling up to the pump, another car pulls in behind it. And I'm there. The guy's 
doing his tires. There's this new car that shows up. So I'm thinking, I'm just cynical, okay? What's that dude going to do? So sure enough, that car pulls out, and I pulled my vehicle into drive, and I'm getting ready to pull up, and I actually move forward a little bit because I'm the next guy. You know, it's wait in line, right? That dude just pulls right up, gets out, looks at me, and goes to about his business. And I just kind of, all I did was just kind of like, huh? So then here's what happens. You know, I've been studying the Word all week for this message. I'm thinking, what are you going to do, George? You're going to roll down the window and say, hey, what are you doing? No, I'm going to act honorably. Well, you're just a pushover, George. No, what would it do for me to abrupt? And believe me, I could erupt. And some of you have erupted, right? You got yourself, your blinkers on at Walmart, getting ready to turn into that spot, and somebody else throws in there and gets out of the vehicle and walks and doesn't even see you. Remember that? That happens to you all the time. How do you react? See, you must purpose to live your life honorably. Because you're bringing honor to God. Remember, remember what I said to you last week? We talked about, a couple weeks ago when we looked at it, about who you are, you're someone special, and your purpose is to what? Bring glory. The purpose for who you are as a believer is to bring glory to who, folks? God. So you've got to live your life honorably. But he doesn't just stop there. Look at what else he says here, okay? Why do we do this? He says this is especially true in how we live our lives among unbelievers. He uses the word Gentiles there because Peter is Jewish. And to the Jew, the Gentiles are unbelievers. So he's saying that you are to live your life honorably among the Gentiles, among unbelievers. So you need to consider how you're living among who? Unbelievers. Now, there's another reason why I didn't say anything. I'm wearing a sweatshirt that had the big cross on it, our sweatshirts that we have here today. So obviously somebody would know I'm what? Go to Kerwinsville Christian Church. Yeah. People know that you're a believer, right? They work with you. Surely they would know that. And they're watching you. And trust me, folks, they are watching you. They're watching to how you react to a situation. They're watching how you make decisions. They're watching you. So you need to live your life honorably. So then, here's the third thing. Why? You must do this even when they speak evil of you. Okay, wait a minute now, George. Hold on. Okay, <laughs> hold on. Okay, I can accept, I can accept living honorably for the Lord. And I can even accept living honorably for the Lord so as a testimony to the unbelievers around me. But you want me to live honorably even when they're talking trash about me? I don't have to put up with that. 
You're right, you don't have to put up with that. But if you understand you're only here temporarily, and you understand what God is saying here, what? He's saying that they'll, what, give testimony to who you really are later in the day of visitation. What's the day of visitation, George? The day of visitation refers to the day when Jesus comes back. And Revelation very clearly says in chapter 2 and 3, it talks about how your enemies, those who speak evil of you, will have to acknowledge you later on. Isn't that interesting? So he's saying because of that, you live honorably, even if they what? Speak evil of you. Speak evil of you. Now that's not legalism. Let me just stop for a moment. That's not trying to make sure everybody's happy with you at church. That's talking about living your life as the person you really are in Jesus because you recognize you're only here temporarily. And you represent God with your life. You serve him. And one day you're going to be with him. So what do we do with this? Well, let me give you two thoughts. First of all, you need to understand what you belong to and who you really are. Well, I, I know that I, this is, I'm a member or an adherent of Kermansville Christian Church. I know what I belong to. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. You belong to the children of God. We are one part of that children of God here. But you are a part of something even greater, the people of God, his special people, a royal priesthood, he said, a chosen generation. Remember, that's what he said in what? Verse 9 and 10. You need to understand what you belong to and who you really are. Who are you? You're not that defeated person that you think you are because you gave into whatever over and over and over again. You are a child of God, accepted, loved, made holy, justified, forgiven, a joint heir with Christ for the eternal riches that are to come. You need to understand what you belong to and who you really are. Here's the next thing. You must live your life as a follower of Jesus. If you're here and you're saying, I'm saved, George. Okay, fine, wonderful. You're a follower of Jesus. Well, then start living like that. Well, what am I supposed to do and not supposed to do? Well, you know what? Your word tells you a lot of things that you're not supposed to do. It also tells you a lot of things that you are supposed to do. And I would encourage you to do that because whatever the Holy Spirit reveals to you, do that. And you begin living your life out that way. Don't come to me for a list of rules. I'm going to tell you all to drink sweet tea. Don't you know holy people drink sweet tea? And eat cheeseburgers. I mean, that's, that's just, that's holiness, isn't it? 
must live your life as a follower of Jesus. Look, folks, he just doesn't call you to believe. He tells you to go beyond your belief and to live what you believe. That's what the issue is. So don't give in. And live honorably. Because what you live and how you live reflects on who? God. Let me pray for you.